This is a Locker Room Production. back again this episode is strictly just for the aew pay-per-view double or nothing we're live on locker room um if you want to check us out later on spotify go ahead this is officially episode 13 i finished uploading episode 12 and i was like and i was looking back on it i'm like this is supposed to say 13 and i was like oh so it was actually episode 12 and for people that may have um, asked if I got my sneeze fixed, yes, I did get the sneeze fixed. Um, I had to go bum my nose really bad. But um, back again, it's special shout-outs, though. You're now officially rocking with the best. Of course, we got to give some special shout-outs. In episode 12, I didn't give a shout-out to J. Cole for Hunger on the Hillside. Go check that new album out of the off-season. And, of course, just shouting out Real Life by Ty Dollar Sign with Roddy Rich and DJ Mustard. So um, now we can officially get into the AEW pay-per-view. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about all all week, uh, all day. Um, been busy with work, been busy uploading the NBA playoffs. Now we can officially get into the AEW show, and right before Raw, because I'd rather talk about this than watch a three-hour Raw. Um, pay-per-view, though. From 1 to 10, I give it an 8.5. Solid pay-per-view. Great wrestling all throughout the card. Here's why it's an 8.5, though. Show was five hours. If this show was 30 minutes less, show of the year. Got to give credit to AEW. AEW really does go out for the Double or Nothing shows. And this was actually a really good Double or Nothing. The best match on the card to me and remember, this is my opinion only, so anyone else can have an opinion different from this. But my opinion is the best match of the night was literally the three-way for the AEW uh, for the AEW Championship for, between Kenny Omega, Orange Cassidy, and Pac. It had everything that you wanted in a match. The crowd was literally going bananas. To me... I felt like if this if this three way match happened on any other pay per view, no pandemic, just fans. Say we don't ever have the pandemic and this is just just another pay per view every three months of AEW. I feel like people would have hated this match. Um, and we're gonna get into that in a bit. Um, first off, though, just wanted to get some clear things. So, um, of course, um, other things that have happened, you know, for AEW, of course, Mark Henry. Um, officially now part of All Elite Wrestling. And someone had asked me this here on Twitter, saying, like, they were very surprised WWE's letting go of all their legends, like Paul White, Big Show, 
Christian Cage, Mark Henry, etc. I can actually answer all these questions. I, I know people are going to think, oh, this is Dave Meltzer, Jibber Jabber. No, no, this is actually just my two cents of an opinion. Again, I don't reference a lot of Meltzer and these people. So if you guys are thinking that this is just going to be a show just based off that, then turn this show off now if you don't like this. But here's the reason why WWE is letting go a lot of their legends. We had a pandemic hit. Um, Vince McMahon believes he's broke. Another reason why a lot of the legends are not getting the contract money that they believe that they deserve, which in fairness they do. Mark Henry does deserve it, and Paul White deserves it as well, and so does Christian Cage. Here's the reason why, though. When you're trying to sell a company, which WWE is now starting to now do, which they want to do, as of course they've put the they've gave the network to Peacock for the next five years, as Peacock is renting that out. But you want to sell the WWE, you want to sell your empire and all this. When you sell something, you don't want to have so much of people getting paid. Well, Mark Henry's getting paid a million, and then. Big Show's getting paid a million, and Christian Cage's getting paid a million. That's that's too much, because then if you're any other company, say if you're NBC Universal, that that will more than likely buy them out. You don't want to be picking up contracts for wrestlers, and you got to pay so and so three million, and then you got to pay so and so one million, and then you got to pay. That doesn't work in business. It doesn't. Also, they have to make their stockholders happy. WWE wants to have the record profit numbers and they want to be better than they were last year the problem is wwe is not going to be better than they were last year granted wwe had the best financial year in history for any wrestling company for stockholders and everything even with a pandemic even with releasing people and firing them and all that however wwe wants to try and be better than that. So they're going to try and keep releasing people, and they're going to try not to pay Legends money. Um, you think it was a tough thing? Look at Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio was without a contract for several months during the pandemic because Vince McMahon was telling Rey, I'm broke. I don't have the money to pay you. And we all know Vince has the money to pay him. He just was just being cheap. However, when you see guys like Mark Henry and Paul White going to these places – now you see exactly why, you know, you know, AEW, Tony Khan, can he pay more? AEW, as far as production goes, they are a $45 million a year company. I believe a little bit more now because they're moving to TBS and stuff, which I believe gives them about 10 more million in production. So about, let's just say about 50, 52 million because you got to pay for taxes and shit. You know, rich still got to pay for the tax. But Tony Khan, you know, also, you know, he owns – his father owns the NFL team. Of course, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tony Khan himself, you know, probably has more money to pay these guys. And you don't know what AEW's budget is for signing talent, and, and nor do we know. However, I do know it has been very, very cheaper for AEW to just run at one show because they're not going anywhere. They're not moving places. They're not – taking so much travel like literally where daily's place has been they haven't had to really touch anything like that the only things they've had to do is like maybe do stuff for like the you know the their war games match of blood and guts and the double or nothing sets but they really haven't had to do a lot of anything which is a good thing and that does save you money 
However, a lot of people are, you know, wondering, well, you know, you know, and, and I get this notion and I even agree too. I, I, I don't like that notion, but it does feel very TNA ish. And to people that are upset by this, I'm sorry, but when you sign 40-year-old people that were famous in WWE, and it's not one, it's not two, it's now three straight, that makes you look really weird as a company. Because, and I'm just going to tell you this here, if you had one 40-year-old legend, let's just say Chris Jericho's not the legend just yet. Like, let's just say Chris Jericho is still the superstar and people, you know, see him as that. And that's true. And you just sign one 40-year-old legend, then that's Paul White. That's perfect. But then when you sign Christian Cage two weeks later, that's an issue. And then you sign Mark Henry, that's even a bigger issue because that's three 40-year-old men. Don't forget about Sting. Sting is 62. And Sting's not going to be working shows like <laughs> you know, like he was on this pay-per-view. He's, not, he's just a pay-per-view. Sting's going to be a pay-per-view guy. And that's fine. You know, Sting shouldn't be working weekly or anything like that. That's fine. However, this is very, you know, it's very, very telling because TNA did this and TNA didn't see success. Maybe AEW will see success. Maybe they will. I, I can't say that for instance, but it could happen. You know, However, however, this was, you know, and, and Mark Henry is signing as a color analyst. I know that. I know he's signing to be a coach, which I'm pretty sure Mark Henry's going to be a great strengthening coach for guys like Will Hobbs and them. That's no question. Will Hobbs and Brian Cage are probably going to be even more stronger than what they are now. But as far as color commentary, I've heard Paul White on AEW's um, Dark Elevation, and I'm not really a fan of his commentary. Because he's still, because you know, he's still got a lot to learn. Granted, it's not the Advent Burt Monday Night Raw situation, but it is. Eh, it, it it it's it's some telling, you know. How, however, I also think that it's also because the play by play guy of Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone's not calling play by plays perfect on Dark Elevation either. And if and if you don't believe me, you can just go and watch Mania. They're always there for the highlights if you want to check them out. But or just watch a match, you know. And you know this. But to, but back to the card though. This was great card up and down, um, except in the middle. And then we're gonna get into that as well. So the buy-in show. Let's go ahead and kick that off. It was the buy-in. It was the NWA Women's Championship. Serena Deeb takes on Rio. Um, this was reported by Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that Rio has officially moved to the United States, so she doesn't have to quarantine back and forth, which made me mad even more because I'm like, why didn't Rio win this championship? The NWA Women's Championship, um, I feel like it's like treated like the FTW Championship in a lot of ways on this show because AEW doesn't really promote it. But also NWA also has their own show, and Serena Deep has not been on one episode of the NWA wrestling show that's on fight tv that you could pay five dollars for per episode i think or like five dollars a month or some weird shit anyways uh serena d beat rio 14 minutes this uh, match i did not see all of it i saw seven minutes of it the reason i couldn't see the other seven minutes was because i was buying the pay-per-view um 
thank you Bleacher Report for making that so fucking hard to do because I tried to buy it literally on the website. It just sent me to the app, and I had to pay three more dollars. So I'm not happy about paying fifty two ninety nine, but I was just paying forty nine ninety nine without the text and stuff. So, but again, that's what happens when you buy it on iPad. So, um, but great match. Serena Deeb did work as a heel, and Serena Deeb is a heel on this. If you did not notice, she actually is a heel and everything like that. And this was really, really, um, really good wrestling. Um, match was even simple too. You had Serena Deeb literally work on Rio's knee, and this was a. It was actually just a perfect match. Um, and then Rio was, you know, making great comebacks with suplexes and near fall counters, and it was really close. And then, of course, the finish comes with Deeb rolling through the Meteora and locking on the single leg. Um, Boston Crab, but then Rio made it to the ropes, and then Rio tried to fight off the attack, but Deeb hit another dragon screw on both knees. Rio fought off the Deep Tox and locked on a Japanese clutch for a great near fall, but Serena Deeb just still had her legs repeatedly and just applied that serenity lock for the submission victory. Really good opening pre-show match, uh, buy-in match, whatever you want to call it. We had, then we got to the opener of this show. It was the double or nothing. Um, Taz joined commentary. Jim Ross joined commentary. And then we had Hangman Page, Brian Cage. Uh, 12 minutes these guys got. And this was a great opener. What a fantastic opener. You couldn't even ask for a better opener in this AEW match. It was just, it was so awesome. The crowd was more into this than anything I've ever seen. A four-star match. Go out your way and check out this match. This was a great opener. This actually might have been one of the... This probably might have been the best opening match on a pay-per-view all year. It might have actually been, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and all the star ratings I've done, all the pay-per-views I've seen, these two just went out there and did crazy shit. There, a lot of this stuff I'm not going to be able to recap because of all the shit that went down, like the Young Bucks match and the three-way. I'm not going to be able to call. I'm not going to be able to say all this. So there's a lot of shit. So so if it's just a quick show, that's fine. But I can't call everything like this here. Uh, Hangman, uh, Brian Cage looked like he was uh, – Hangman Page um, – sorry, Brian Cage – was going to do a buckshot lariat in this match. Of course, it was countered. You know, and Hangman, you know, literally looked like he was going to lose this match. And Brian Cage really had the up, upper advantage. And this was a problem on AEW, um, on the AEW pay-per-view. Too many interferences and distractions. I thought this was way too many. Um, Because Cage looked like he was winning this match. And then Ricky Starks and Hook come out. And... Of course, Hook distracts the ref. Ricky Starks throws the FTW belt in the ring. And Brian Cage didn't want to use it. And that was fine. And then, of course, Hangman wins with the buckshot lariat because he got distracted. And then afterwards, Brian Cage got mad at Ricky Starks and Hook. And because Brian Cage couldn't, tu- um, Brian Cage couldn't touch Ricky Starks, he just shoved Hook. And that was it. Um, great match, though. Great match. Just go out your way and see that. Then we had Don Callis on commentary for the next match. With the crowd was loud singing 
the wild thing thing from John Moxley and Eddie Kingston's entrance. At Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks had dyed his hair. Um, I guess Nick Jackson was like trying to pay homage to Macho Man because because a lot of stuff the Young Bucks were doing in this match were like paying homage to the Mega Powers Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. However, this was a fantastic match. They got 21 minutes. It was the Young Bucks retaining the AEW World Tag Team Championships against John Moxley, Eddie Kingston. Big stuff going into this. It was really, it was another four-star match. There were times where I thought that the match was, you know, I thought the match was going to be just a good match. And then they came back every time and had some great stuff. And it really was great stuff. You had Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. They were going to come out there and distract Moxley and Kingston. But then Frankie Kazarian came out and put a whooping on Carl Anderson. Luke Gallows was kicked out of the uh, arena by security. You know, I was wondering why didn't security do this for the other matches. But And uh, finish came with the young – because, again, I can't go into all this stuff. This is way too much stuff to just – just go through. But finish came with Nick and Matt Jackson. They they just took everything they could off John Moxley. They hit him with um, a spray bottle and opened him up. They hit him with they were hitting him with super kicks. Moxley was kicking out at one on super kicks. Young Bucks literally did four BTE triggers straight just to beat Moxley. And it was a really great match. Tony Schiavone did, um, of course, of course, the first one of the BTE trigger, Moxley did not sell it. And Excalibur said, Moxley just could not go down. And Tony Schiavone said, because Matt Jackson's still holding his hand. It's like, that, that was a good, that was actually a good observation. I actually, I actually like that. Then, of course, we had the Casino Battle Royale next for the AEW World Championship. This is where the show just went downhill after this for a little bit. For a little bit. There was two injury replacements to the Casino Battle Royal. The Blade was replaced by Serpentico. QT Marshall was replaced by Aaron Solo. Paul White joined commentary for this. And this, I just felt like, was just a terrible show. Uh, this was like terrible match. Sorry, not a terrible show. Just this match itself was terrible. It just was... It was 23 minutes, way, way too long for a battle royal to me. I didn't like it. I thought that this was, I thought that a lot of eliminations were going by so fast. You couldn't get anything really like, you really couldn't get anything. You know, you really couldn't off this, you know, because no one really had a chance to really shine in a lot of this. The first suit was clubs, which included Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Dustin Rhodes, and Max Caster with a... Great rap as usual. And then Caster was eliminated by Seidel within the first two minutes. I believe that was by accident because um, um, Max Caster landed on the stairs and got a leg cramp, I believe. Or he might have suffered an actual knee injury, but it looked like a leg cramp, like really bad. And Caster was eliminated way too early, so that was not good. Then Christian eliminated um, – yeah, because Caster eliminated Seidel and then Christian eliminated – caster sorry i'm just as confused as the commentators were when they were doing this so next up was the diamonds which was matt hardy i didn't think isaiah cassidy was in this because isaiah cassidy was literally dressing in casual clothes i thought just isaiah cassidy was just helping to cheat 
which I, I did. Preston Tanvance, Nick Camarado, and Serpentico. Serpentico was thrown in the ring by Luther, and people were wondering, well, why does why was Luther throwing Serpentico in the ring? Okay, if you don't watch AEW Dark or Elevation, because they don't tell you this, so I have to. On the AEW Darks, Serpentico and Luther can't have long matches because Luther does not. Luther really does not have any like any good like shape. He's not in good shape, and he's really really hurt. He really really is. Um, but that's because of Japan death matches from twenty years ago that that were probably great, but you don't have no proof because there's none out there really. But Luther just throws Serpentico all around the ring. And Serpentico does great high-flying stuff. And I really am a big fan of Serpentico because Serpentico does not get credit on AEW. He does not. He never gets any good matches. He never gets a chance to work with anybody. And he's always just in a tag team. And it's very upsetting to me because I really, really like Serpentico. I really, really do. And Serpentico is really, really, um, really, really talented. Just a talented individual. Just, just not, does not get credit. Of course... Ten immediately eliminated Serpentico, so that just I, I stopped giving a damn right after this. Um, Tim and um, Nick Conorado faced off in the middle of the ring. Ten hit repeated clotheslines, but Conorado cut him off with a spear. Then Dustin showed up and eliminated both. The next up was the Hearts. Um, before the, before the Hearts could come out, though, of the card deck, Conorado eliminated Dustin Rhodes using a bull rope bell. The next um, card deck was the Varsity Blondes, Colt Cabana, Anthony Bowens, and Penta El Zero Miro, who's paying homage to the Joker, Heath Ledger. So, great stuff right there. And then Penta ran wild on everyone and led the crowd in a Zero Miro chant. We had uh, Isaiah Cassidy eliminate Colt Cabana from behind, saving Matt Hardy. The Varsity Blondes hit a heart attack. And eliminate Bowens. Hardy eliminate Griff Garrison. But the cameras were missing a lot of this stuff. And the fans performed a loud Brian Pillman chant. But the commentators didn't pay no attention to that neither. So this was just bad commentary. Bad camera cuts. Bad everything. The last was the spades. It was Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn, Aaron Solo, Evil Uno, Lee Johnson, and Jun- um, and that was it. And then Jungle Boy faced off with um, Penta, which who took him down with the sling blade and a tilt to world backbreaker, which kind of really killed a little bit of momentum because I think like the fans really wanted to see jungle boy go off for like a good heat run real quick. And they just killed it immediately. Um, Hobbs re-entered the fray commentary was surprised that he was still in there. Christian came back in. This was just a lot of confusion everywhere. The Joker um, was Leo rush who is not going to be signed to AEW anytime soon. Leo Rush is going to be with um, New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is signed to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Leo Rush cannot go to New Japan Pro Wrestling because of everything that's going on with the quarantining and stuff, so that's the reason why Leo Rush cannot be there. Um, But he can be in AEW and have some matches, but he's not going to be able to be signed to the company. Um, he came out, I was actually very disappointed when I saw Leo Rush because, no offense, I want Samoa Joe or Daniel Bryan or Andrade, I did. I was upset, you know, 
Wishful thinking, though. Uh, I wasn't upset, though, with Leo Rush's performance. So Leo Rush did have a good performance. He just didn't get a, enough chance to sign. He really didn't get enough chance to sign. He did get, like, you know, a couple of good spots in and then, you know, did a um, a bottom rope stunner on Matt Hardy. But then got eliminated real quickly, and it was just like, eh. Final three were Christian, Jungle Boy, Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy wanted to work with Christian, and Christian threw him out. Jungle Boy was even shocked that that, that that happened. And then we got Jungle Boy Christian in the face-off. This is where the Battle Royal actually got good, finally. And it was really, really good. Um, Christian almost eliminated Jungle Boy, but Jungle Boy held on and did and was able to just slide back into the ring using the ring post. Good move right there. And Jungle Boy was able to eliminate Christian. Crowd did not want Christian to win it anyway. Crowd was really really into Jungle Boy winning. They were booing Christian, and the right finish came, and if this was WWE, they would have had the, the veteran go over, but in AEW, it was the right call. The young guy wins, and Jungle Boy actually really needed a victory because when Jungle Boy is in Battle Royals or anything, he's always one of the few last, but he never wins them. So this was finally a big victory for Jungle Boy, so I'm very proud of that. After the match source, Marco Stunt came out. Christian told Jungle Boy make the most of his opportunity and pumped him up. That was really good. Like that stuff. And then the crowd is still more dead after this. It's the American Dream. Cody Rose defeating Anthony Agogo. This was Anthony Agogo's pay-per-view debut. He's had two matches previously. They were on AEW, but they were quick matches. And this match should have stayed quick, too, because this was 11 minutes. And um, this match really should have been cut by, like, seven. Should have been like a four-minute match. Um, if, if we're all being honest, it really should have been a four-minute match because I was not a fan of this. But it's not because of Anthony Agogo's wrestling. Anthony Agogo can actually wrestle. That was not an issue. Cody sold good, but Anthony Agogo could not sell. He's not there yet as a wrestler. He's got the gimmick. He's got the theme. He's just got to get to selling better. If he can get that better, then, then that will definitely be fine but um also i thought that you know this match should have been just four minutes because and i've said this here before and this is and this is going to reference to nxt on nxt you know carrying cross everybody gets mad saying well carrying cross needs to work 20 minutes like finn balor now i'm calling these guys not every wrestler can work 20 minutes not every wrestler can do that. We don't need not every wrestling match needs to be 20 minutes. Not every wrestling match needs to be 10, 15. Some wrestling matches have to be a certain limit because you have to protect the wrestler that's competing. You want to protect his mystique. You know, you want to protect his gimmick and stuff. If Anthony Agogo's match was just four minutes with Cody Rhodes and all Cody did was just sell the governor hammer from Anthony Agogo, the the punchers, the the boxer punched to the gut. It's perfect because you're getting over the punch by beating an established star. And that's what it should have been. It shouldn't have been about, you know, an 11 minute match and all this and America versus England. It, the storyline was bad heading into this, but what even made it worse was it really just was not really good at all. It just was, it, it was, it was a two star match it's just average wrestling. That's all it was. The Battle Royal was, you know, I gave that a little bit higher because it was two and two quarters because there were some things I liked. But 
you know, you could have even went lower on both of these matches. You really could have been. I, am I being generous? Maybe. But again, my opinion. TNT Championship is Miro defeating Lance Archer in 10 minutes, 3 seconds. Miro, um, I, I felt like this was another distraction. Just, you know, you know, this was a good TV match. Just a good TV match. But... The crowd really wasn't as hot for this match. They were they were they were all right for it, but they weren't like hot for this match. Crowd chanted Miro. Crowd was really into Miro, even though Miro was supposed to be the heel. Um Jake Roberts came out with what was supposed to be a snake in the bag and it wasn't. Um and then, you know, Miro beat him up. So then Lance Archer was able to get back into the match. And then, you know, the commentary team just points out that, you know, the Miro was putting on the camel clutch on Lance Archer the commentary team mentioned that Lance Archer had spinal surgery four years ago the problem is I wish that the commentary team would have said something about that before the match because then that way you could have you could have built up for Miro having that you know to me I felt like the commentary team was not on its best a game like in a lot of things like especially with this here like saying in the last 30 seconds of a match where Miro's got the camel clutch on Lance Archer and saying well Lance Archer had spinal surgery 4 years ago you should have mentioned that beforehand so and then of course we had another um and this is finally where the crowd finally woke back up and they finally got somebody to wake back up um, it was Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defeating Hakata Shida to um, win the AEW Women's World Championship in eight minute, uh, 18 minutes, 18 seconds. Um, a lot of people are going to say this match really wasn't good, and that's and that's their opinion. You know, maybe they were expecting a better match. I don't know. But to me, this was a really great match because it was about more of the storytelling, uh, the storytelling building to the end. And... There was a lot of interference and stuff in the show. There really was. But what I liked about this was this was actually the one match or one of the two matches that had everything perfect about distraction and interference. And and it was and it was just mainly the finish. This is what made me really just and this is what woke the crowd back up too. This is really what woke the crowd back up as well. You know, um, you had Britt Baker, you know, it was it was Britt Baker, she was maintaining control, but Sheeta hit a Tierras. She set Britt Baker to the floor. She tossed Sheeta in the barricade. Of course, it was Rebel in the crutch. Rebel used the crutch at first and she um she was trying to get Sheeta. She didn't. She hit Britt Baker. Sheeta nearly won the match. But didn't, so then the ref was getting ready, so then the ref kicked out Rebel, and then Rebel was still able to distract Britt Baker, uh, sorry, distract Sheeta, um, distract the ref long enough so Britt Baker could hit a curb stop on the title belt with Sheeta's face on the title belt, and you thought that was going to be the finish, and then it wasn't the finish yet, and then we had, you know, um, it, Dr. Britt Baker hit the, she finally was able to apply the lock jaw after she hit the thrust kick and sling blade. Followed by an air raid crash. It was it was the perfect finish to me. Sorry if I didn't get it off. Uh, sorry if I didn't get the words out correctly. 
you know. But this was literally the finish is what made this match. Um, Britt Baker, you know, she she literally she was able to you know finally get she did locked up into that crucifix before locking into the lockjaw, and that was what was perfect. Tony Schiavone, after the match, just went to the ring and you know celebrated with Dr. Britt Baker. I loved every bit of this. I really did. This was a three and three quarter match. I know a lot of people are going to say this match wasn't good, and you're entitled to your opinion, but I love the finish of this match. You had Rebel try to, you thought Rebel was going to cost Britt Baker the match. Britt Baker almost lost. Then they had Rebel make up, and Britt Baker thought she was going to win with the curb stomp. It wasn't enough. And then, you know, then you thought Sheeta might be able to win. And then they teased it, and then Britt Baker was able to hit the block jog. And that was what was perfect. You need some climactic, like, th- that's, where, that's where it was. The first half of the match doesn't matter. As long as the ending, that makes the crowd happy. And that's what makes the crowd happy. Darby Allen and Sting defeated Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. Before the match, um, a video played of Sting and Darby Allen driving a convertible. And saying it's showtime. To me, Sting and Darby Allen would be the perfect two guys for a horror movie just to kill people. Like, they literally would be perfect for a horror movie. My opinion, but my goodness, I would love to see them in a horror movie. Just just those two killing people. That, that, that would sell a horror movie right there. And this was a ton of fun. Sting looked in fantastic shape. You know, a lot of people are probably upset. Like, why did he take off his shirt? You know, no. Like, Sting... Sting, 62 years old, but Sting really, really looked great. He held his own in this match. He did. He was jumping off the poker chips to both guys. He he was able to, you know, hit stinger splashes. Sting looked really, really great in this match. He really, really did. And there was a lot of concern for me because I was worried, but Sting really did great. Darby Allen did great. Darby Allen was literally just a human crash test dummy. Ethan Page threw Darby Allen into the wrestler crowd because in the front row they do have some wrestlers sitting there, so that way you can do your planned spots and stuff. And then, man, did Darby Allen get thrown like what felt like five, ten feet away from the ring into wrestlers, and thank goodness some people caught him. But whew, even Sting was like, man, even Sting was just creeped out by that. Um, because Sting didn't ever see nothing like that. Um, finish came, though, with um, Sky entering the fray, slapping on a heel hook on Darby Allen. Page and Darby Allen, the two men locked in submission holds. Page and Darby Allen were literally slapping each other because Sting had it on the Scorpion Deathlock on Ethan Page. Scorpio Sky had on his heel hook. Both men were slapping the hell out of each other as hard as they could. And then Sting and Sky tagged in, exchanged right hands. Till Scorpio Sky tried to chop down Sting. Sting fired up, and Sting hit the Stinger Splash. After Sky tried to go for a slingshot cutter, and then Sting countered it into a Scorpion Deathlock for the pinfall. Great match, great match, man. I really loved this match. It was three and two quarters, and go out your way and see this. It really was a great match. In our co-main event of the night, it's Kenny Omega. Taking on uh, Orange Cassidy and Pac for the AEW World Championship. Kenny Omega retains in 20 minutes, 26 minutes, 56 seconds. This was unbelievable as far as 
wrestling goes, I cannot describe every move. It we literally be here for over an hour. The show's called Keeping It 200 because we're the show under 90 minutes. We're not trying to go over 90 minutes, people. So, so, so I'm sorry that like you wanted more details as far as finishes go, but too much stuff. Just too much stuff. Um, overbooking, you could say that, but the crowd loved it, and that's all that matters. Um, great stuff just into the end, and here's how and here's how the finish goes. So, so we're gonna try and get into this. Okay, let's. Let's try to get this into there, okay? Pac and Orange face off in the center of the ring. With Pac insists that Orange tried to steal his pin. Orange hit his weak kick, so Pac low-blowed him. Apparently, there are no DQs in three ways. But, of course, there's not no DQs in three ways. So, I know a lot of people were upset, like, saying, well, there should have been a DQ in a three-way. Like, no, it wouldn't make sense. So, Pac landed a Flosberry flop on a Mega... And then the black arrow on Orange Cassidy, but Omega broke up the pin at the last second. Omega avoided a black arrow and set Pac up for the one-winged angel, but Pac locked on the brutalizer. Orange came in with the orange punch on Pac, the beach break on Omega for another awesome near fall. Orange caught another low blow attempt from Pac, fought out of a power bomb, landed the orange punch on both opponents. John Callis cursed and left commentary immediately. Orange hit the beach break on Pac, but Callis pulled the referee out the ring. So, of course, we had to get a fuck you Don Callis chant in Daly's place in Jacksonville, Florida. Even I was at this point like, what the fuck? Like, I wanted Orange Cassidy to win, and even they invested me thinking that Orange Cassidy might win, and then Orange Cassidy got robbed. So... But it was the right thing to do. You had to protect Orange Cassidy. You had to protect Pac. And then, of course, um, Orange went to the top rope, fought off Omega, but Pac caught the diving DDT and locked on a Brutalizer literally on Orange Cassidy. Omega tried to break it up, and then Pac wouldn't let go. So Omega just hit the official and just laid Pac out with all four belts. Started off with the Impact Championship, the AAA Championship, the Impact um, the TNA World Championship, and then the AEW Championship. And then Orange popped up, took out Omega with the Orange Punch. Aubrey Edwards ran down, tried to count the three, and then it was a two, and then Omega countered into a crucifix pin for the three count because the roll-up is the most dangerous fall in pro wrestling today. Man, that match was fun. Four and three quarters. I was so close to giving it five stars. I really wanted to give it five stars. But I couldn't give it five stars because because they did bullshit. They did some bullshit with the Don Cows thing, and that pissed me off. That that because 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 I felt like that took a little heat out of the match. But the crowd still loved it, and I still loved it. But it was four and three quarters. Had this match went about two three more minutes, I would have had to break that and had to just say five stars. Four and three quarters though, the best match literally, the best AEW match I've seen all year, arguably, arguably. Um, of course, we had Tony. Of course, I mentioned earlier Tony Schiavone announced Mark Henry as the newest analyst for the AEW Rampage show on TNT. So that was great. Um, announced for Dynamite this Friday night, 10 p.m. on TNT. That's Eastern Standard Time. We've got Dustin Rhodes versus Nick Camarado in a bull rope match. Um, I wish this match had more build, but it doesn't. Um, but should be a really good match. Should be. 
Young Bucks will take on Pac versus Penta El Zero Miro in a non-title tag team championship match. Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson take on QT Marshall and Anthony Agogo, so I guess QT's wrist will be fine. And we have the Dr. Britt Baker DMD Championship Celebration, which should be really good. And in two weeks, which I feel is way too early to promote this match, but we're going to have Kenny Omega versus Jungle Boy, because Jungle Boy won the Casino Battle Royal. I honestly wished that um, that they waited about another... I think they should wait a month. Give it some build. Um, but I understand why they didn't do it. So we get to our main event. It's the Stadium Stampede. 31 minutes, 31 seconds. The Inner Circle defeats the Pinnacle. The finish of the... The whole plot of the story has been, if you not been catching up with keeping it 200 if you've not been watching etc if the inner circle were to lose to the pinnacle the inner circle would have to disband forever and this was it was fun it really was is this the was this stadium stampede better than last year to me no i don't believe so but it really was really fun it's four two quarters. That's what I gave it. The first stadium stampede last year, I gave six stars to because it was perfect. It was comedy. It was something that you needed because of everything that was going on in the world. This one had to be different and it was different. It didn't have the special magic touch, but it still was really great. It really was great. You had MJF alone on the football field. And then as soon as all the inner circle members came down, you know, he got back into the limousine. This match was pre-taped. A lot was pre-taped. But here's my thing about the stadium stampede and stuff. I will give this star ratings, pre-taped or not. That's just how it's just going to be. The first one was pre-taped last year because of the pandemic and everything. Um, being Everything was in lockdown. But this one here was, when it came to this one here, you know, it was pre-taped. But they did get everything to the live crowd. So the finish was live in front of the crowd. But the match started off pre-taped and everything. And of course you had the Pinnacle arrive in ATVs. They were taking on other members. MJF thought he could get out. And then Jericho was already waiting for him by the limo. So it had uh, special cameos from the Jacksonville Jaguars football coach Urban Meyer. And Charlie Strong, Urban Meyer, handed Chris Jericho a laptop. Chris Jericho said that said that um, he hoped the Jaguars have a great season. Um, Urban Meyer said, holy shit. Like, <laughs> um, MJF crawled into the film room. MJF even paid an homage to the Rock Sunday Night Heat, the halftime heat match. When Rock was beating up Mankind, Rock picked up the phone and said, um, know your role, hotel, or SmackDown Hotel, know your role, Boulevard. And Rock said to Rock said that Mankind couldn't come to the phone. He's getting his ass whooped. So MJF picked up the phone and said, Jericho can't come to the phone because he's getting his ass whooped. So I like that cute stuff. Um, and there was and there was just a lot of good things. It, it, it was just a lot of stuff that and each thing had a scene. You know, Jericho, MJF had their own scenes. You had Wardlow, Jake Hager have their own scenes. You had Santana and Ortiz have their own scenes with the FTR of Dax Hardwood and Dash Wheeler. Even paying homage to last year when Hangman and Jake Hager had a drink and then beat each other up. 
and that's what FTR and the Inner Circle did. Um, FTR and Santana Ortiz had drinks before they beat each other up in the club um, part of the um, Daily's Place. I did not think Daily's Place was that big. But man, it really is that big. There was so much stuff. And then don't forget Sammy Guevara's Sean Spears, which we'll get to, but just a lot of fun stuff. Just just a lot of fun stuff. Wardlow had advantage on Jake Hager at one point, then Jake Hager got the upper hand again. You had um, Santana and Ortiz, they were fighting FTR um, in the part, and even um, Conan made an appearance, which I'm very glad to see Conan, because Conan was, you know, not doing good health-wise a couple of months back, and now Conan was great. He was able to, you know, help, you know, he was able to even help um, Santana and Ortiz, um, because Tully Blanchard was going to I guess hit like um, Ortiz upside the head with a pool cube and Conan stopped that. So it was it was good stuff right there. Um, and then and then of course you had Sean Spears, Sammy Guevara. You know Sean Spears and Sammy fought at a. They were fighting inside of the warehouse of the Daily's place. Sean Spears had all the chairs because he's the chairman. So of course Sammy Guevara was doing a lot of like action movie moves. And they really came off like really good. I was like, wow, Sammy Guevara really could be a great actor, a great stunt double for a movie. And Guevara came off great. And then, of course, Sean Spears thought he had Guevara where he locked him up, um, where he handcuffed him. But it wasn't, you know, enough because Sean Spears literally left pliers just laying around for Guevara to get. So I loved how all the refs, though. Literally, been, like, literally, when Jake Hager got, like, knocked out, literally, by Wardlow, just throwing him, literally, through, like, a wall. The ref didn't ring the bell. There was, like, no pinfalls. It was so funny. I was just like, wh- what do we even need the refs for? Like, like I was, like, really concerned about that at one point. I was like, do we even really need the refs? Of course, MJF, Jericho, they it was the big main scenes there with, of course, MJF. He tried to punch Jericho. He missed. He hit a, um, a standee of the Jacksonville Jaguars owner and Tony Khan's father, Shad Khan. MJF sold the punch, and then Jericho hit MJF with the standee of Shad Khan, and then he bent that standee. So really good. And then he's and then Jericho, um, the Jericho, um, what you call it? So then of course MJF hit in some offices. Jericho, um, Jericho's. Jericho's arm was really, really hurt, and you could just tell Jericho's arm was really, really hurting in this match, because Jericho really does have a dislocated arm, and my goodness, he really had to work on this, like, really hard. Um, Jericho did grab a stapler and stapled a thank you message on MJF's um, forehead, and then, of course, um, MJF came back with a right hand and hit Jericho with a pile driver on a legit table. But Jericho kicked out. MJF picked up a hammer and was about to whack Jericho's arm with it. But Jericho surprised him with a trash can shot. Jericho grabbed Floyd the Bat from a cabinet, which I don't even know why that would be in a Jacksonville Jaguars meeting. Why would a bat be there in a thing like that? That's creepy. Um, And then, of course, Jericho pulled MJF. Um, and then, of course, Jericho you know, was able to just throw MJF through, like, I guess like a glass door 
And of course, MJF was bleeding. So of course, when they went to the live crowd, MJF was busted open from the forehead that he took. Jericho then dropped MJF groin force on top of a railing. MJF came back and was about to dump Jericho off a high railing, but Jericho hit him with a spotlight, literally a spotlight thing. Um, he then powerbombed MJF through a structure as the crowd came alive, and the crowd really was into this. Especially when they see a brawl, literally right there. You're paying for it, and, you know, like, this was like the first time where fans really just got to see a fight, like, literally right there. That was a big first time that they have seen that in a very long time. So then, of course, Sean Spears is, you know, happy. He's wondering where Sammy Guevara went. Um, but Sean Spears was, like, scared as hell, I guess, because there was, like, some motorcycle group, which I don't know who the motorcycle people were or anything, but Sean Spears was hiding. He he was going back to the ring at Daly's place, and then Sammy Guevara <laughs> had a golf cart. It was chasing him with it and basically made fun of Sammy Guevara getting hit with the golf cart last year at the stadium stampede and everything, and... This was actually really fun. This was just, this really, really got fun. Um, Sean Spears got hit with the Garf cart, just like Guevara did last year. They brought it into the ring where Spears cut off, um, where Springs cut him off with a springboard attempt with a chair shot. Spears told Guevara he should have stayed down, but Guevara gave him a middle finger. Spears crushed Guevara with a chair shot for a good near fall. And then Spears was going to do the chair in the corner where he was going to crush Guevara's head into it. But Guevara countered, and he stomped Sean Spears' head into the chair. Really bad spot, too, because Sean Spears' head, I think Sean Spears might have got a concussion right after that, because he was supposed to go right through the chair on the bottom rope of the corner, but the chair didn't break, so bad move. So then Guevara climbed to the top rope, hit a 630 centon for the victory. The inner circle in the crowd just celebrate with singing Judas, it was cinematic, and then it went to live crowd, and then it ended with a happy ending. Five-hour show, beautiful time. It was, it, it was, at the end of the day, the main event was fun. That's all you can say. The main event was so fun to watch, you know. However, it was just a little too long, just 30 minutes too long. And, and it was a really good show. It really was. It really was eight, eight and a half, eight and a half out of ten. Um, only thing was just the time constraint. That's the only thing I had a problem with. Um, so let's just go through the star ratings one more time though before I get out of here. Hangman Page, um, Brian Cage gave that four stars. Young Bucks defeating Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, four stars. Jungle Boy winning the Casino Battle Royal two and two quarters. Anthony Agogo, Cody Rhodes, two stars. Miro Lance Archer, two and three quarters. Dr. Britt Baker defeating Sheeta three and three quarters. Sting and Darby Allen defeating Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky three and two quarters. Kenny Omega defeating Orange Cassidy and Pac four and three quarters. And the Inner Circle Pinnacle was four and two quarters. Great card. Up and down. The next AEW pay-per-view, when is it, I believe? Because I believe they told us. Because um, the next AEW pay-per-view is in Chicago, Illinois. Let me see when it is, so that way I can let you guys know when it is. Sorry about the dead air, folks. <laughs> um, let's see. Did they tell us when the All Out show? I'm just going to look it up on Wikipedia real quick. AW All Out 
2021. And it's going to be September 5th on Labor Day weekend. So, <laughs> I should have known that, but my bad. Um, yep, September 5th, 2021. They're going to be in Chicago, Illinois for that um, show, Full Gear. Their next pay-per-view after that will be November 6th, 2021. So, and that will be the final AEW show of the, final AEW pay-per-view show of the new year. Because AEW only does four pay-per-views yearly. So, Full Gear closes out November 6th in St. Louis. October, they have the, um, on, uh, sorry, Labor Day weekend in September, they'll have the AEW show. All out. And, yeah. Um. This is going to wrap up the Keep It at 200 podcast. Sorry if I did not go into details heavily into the, all the matches. If you want to check out all the details for matches, they're, they're all on various sites. I I just did – I could not do this show under 90 minutes if I had to write – I had to read all that. That was too much stuff. But that is it for Keeping It 200. Episode 13 officially. This was a live show. Thank you for everybody that's watched us on Locker Room. Sorry if I didn't get to anybody um, on the speaker. Um, but however, however, no one was going to get a chance to talk because because then the show would have really went over 90 minutes. And I've already done episode 12 earlier. It was about the NBA playoffs recap over the weekend. So just check that out. Uh, special shout out to J. Cole for um, Hunger on the Hillside for letting me use that as this opening theme for episode 12. And thank you for Ty Dollar Signs Real Life featuring Roddy Reach and DJ Mustard. Um, thank you for everybody that's watched. Um, and probably be back probably in a day or two. And I just want to say this here, though, before I close out keeping it 200, because this is May 31st and this is Memorial Day, and I understand that. I'm not going to get into anything political like that, so don't worry. Um, just wanted to say, you know, May was Mental Awareness Month. And um, make sure you're always there for your loved ones. Make sure you're always there. Make sure you're always having someone to talk to and stuff. And keeping it 200, of course, literally in the description, does talk about, you know, me having anxiety, ADHD. So if I'm always stuttering fast, if I'm always talking too fast, am I always doing this? I do apologize. Try to make the best show as possible. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody. 13 episodes we did in May. Hopefully we double that in May. Hopefully, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm in the process of moving too, so that's going to be tough as hell. But but maybe maybe I might get 26 episodes in June. I don't know. Um, but thank you for everybody that's um, been watching. And you know, just just want to give a special shout out to May being Mental Awareness Month. Um, and thank you for everybody that's and been saying nice comments. And I'm glad that I and I'm glad that I've been able to reach some people and make them happy with this podcast, even if it's never shown. Um, thank you. So um, this was all for keeping it 200, episode 13. We are out. Talk to you guys next time. Peace.